This episode of the Aquarius Podcast is sponsored by Aquarium Co-op and their amazing all-in-one fertilizer, Easy Green. If you're like me and love planted tanks but weren't born with an aquatic green thumb, Easy Green is the stuff for you. Easy Green is super easy to dose and I use it in all of my planted tanks, both high and low-tech setups. I follow the instructions on the bottle and the results are healthy, vibrant plants. I know so many other Aquarists who swear by Easy Green and their tanks look amazing. You can even go back to previous episodes of this podcast where you hear several guests talk about their experience and love for this stuff. So head on over to AquariumCoop.com, drop some Easy Green in your cart, and use the code Aquarius5 at checkout to receive 5% off your order. And if you needed it, Corey has numerous videos on the Aquarium Co-op YouTube channel where he talks all about Easy Green, how to use it, and shows off his own tanks at home and in the store that are thriving on the stuff. Lastly, if you're enjoying the podcast, share the show with your friends, leave a rating wherever you listen to the episodes, and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Now, on to the interview. Today's date is Tuesday, November 6th, 2018. My guest today is Zenzo Tezawa. And aside from having probably the coolest name in the game, Zenzo is incredibly active in the hobby, running a 30-tank fish room. He's got a popular YouTube channel and an aquarium maintenance business. So Zenzo, welcome to the Aquarius Podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know if people can tell just so far based on the audio, but this is a live recording. We are we are live. You, yep. you let a stranger into your house. You actually <laughs> took me around the city for the day. So we are in San Francisco, California on an absolutely picture-perfect, beautiful uh, fall day. Could not yep. have asked for better conditions. Uh, flew in early this morning and, and met up with Zenzo and spent the whole day with him. So um, fantastic opportunity to hang out with you, get to know you. Uh, and now we get to do an interview on the Aquarius podcast, so I'm I'm stoked. Awesome, yeah, it was fun. Uh, we went and uh, saw a couple really cool fish tours, which we'll talk about, and had some good food. So it's always fun to hang out with fellow uh, fish geeks. Yeah, totally. All right, Zenzo. So what is your origin story, man? How did you get your? And he was actually about to take a drink of water. And no, that's fine. With the question. So uh, <laughs> let's see. My origin story, as far as getting into the hobby. So I was um, a young kid here in San Francisco, um, and. In Golden Gate Park, we have a large public aquarium. At that time, it was called Steinhardt Aquarium. It's changed. It's been remodeled, and uh, now it's called the California Academy of Sciences. But the Steinhardt Aquarium was um, uh, a very fun place to hang out as a kid. Not only did they have you know a full aquarium, but they had um, some natural history stuff as well. Um, so you could see like you know stuffed you know grizzly bears and fossils and things like that. But um, I fell in love with fish. When I would go there, I was just, um, you know, enthralled and amazed at seeing the tanks. Um, you know, they had a room where you would go in and it was a big circular room where they had, you know, um, like tuna swimming in a circle. And um, I really uh, just fell in love with um, the aquatic life at that time. And I was a young kid, but um, something about keeping life in like its own separate ecosystem was just so interesting to me. And a few years after that, I got my first tank. I think like everybody, I had a goldfish bowl first. After about a week, we decided that a goldfish bowl wasn't going to work. So then we went out and got a 20-gallon aquarium and moved the goldfish into that. Now I know that that's still too small. But at that time, we had goldfish in there. So supportive parents, though. Yeah, yeah, they were very supportive. And when I was a kid, I did um, a lot of uh, different animals. Um, 
you know, for a beer, for a brief period of time, we lived in the country um, up in Northern California. So I would go out and catch lizards and tadpoles and, you know, er- everything else that I could, you know, capture and put in some kind of box or cage. Um, and I had a lot of other, you know, I had birds and mice and hamsters and turtles and salamanders, but always loved fish the most. So, um, so yeah, my parents were supportive in that. And then uh, kind of in my mid to late teenage years um, into my early 20s, I didn't keep anything because um, I was just, you know, young guy running around and, you know, doing young guy stuff, right? And I wasn't really concerned with aquariums and stuff at that time. So more interested in motorcycles and chasing girls and that kind of thing. And then uh, when I was in my mid-20s, um, I got the bug again and decided to uh, get back into the hobby. Do you remember what sparked you getting the bug again? Um, it wasn't any, well, let's see here. It wasn't anything that I can remember, like some defining moment. I just uh, missed having a tank. And um, I think when I was 26, I started searching around online and found, um, I got a 55-gallon acrylic tank. And uh, then I started experimenting with different types of fish. And for a while, I was doing like South American. I had a bunch of uh, geophagus. And then I changed my mind. And then I wanted to do like Asian. I had like garamis and things like that. And um, and then a couple years after that, I... Um, and then during that same period of time, I had other tanks. So I had like a 20-gallon planted tank. Um, and then I got into cichlids. And I want to say I got into cichlids maybe back in 2003 or 2002, 2002-2003, right around there, um, I got into African cichlids and then realized how fun they were um, because of the color, you know, their their activity, the energy level of the fish, um, the fact that they will spawn um, and, you know, hold the, uh, hold the fry in their mouth. I was, you know, interested in that. And uh, I loved the kind of activity that the African cichlid tank had. So I uh, continued on... Um, for quite a while with African cichlids and ended up um, where I would, you know, take fry, grow them out a little bit and then give them to the fish store, trade them for food or, you know, store credit and things like that. So I did that for a while. Um, how, how active were you in the fish community at that point? In the fish community, I was zero. I was not active at all. There was there was not I was not aware of any fish club or other people that were into the, into the hobby other than when I went to the store and would talk to the, my friends at the store. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was really, and there, and the internet wasn't, you know, very prevalent back in the mid two thousands yet. Anything, you know, there wasn't, uh, there wasn't a YouTube as an example. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, I just kind of did my thing, read a lot of magazines, you know, back in the day I would go to the fish store and get my magazines and, you know, thumb through those, uh, for hours at a time. Um, and then in the late 2000s, um, maybe right around 2000 and I want to say maybe 2008, I moved and I had to sell some tanks and, uh, didn't have uh, a fish tank for a couple of years. Um, but I had to have fish, so I kept bettas. And so I had, uh, I would keep a bed in my office. I would keep a bed at home. So I always had something, you know, to make me feel like I was still an Aquarius and I was still active mm-hmm. in, in keeping fish. Are you stockpiling any of your tanks at that point or did you divest no, and I, sell them yeah, all? It was, it was, yeah, and that, that, that time I only had a couple tanks okay. anyway. So um, so sold everything and um, 
I wish I had some of that gear because I had some cool stuff back then. But anyway, that's, that's so, what I was going to say. Yeah, that, it's so it's so painful when you get out of the hobby, you sell everything, and then you get back in and yeah, you oh, wish, yeah, oh, all that great stuff that I had, all that the great I sold. stuff, you know, the canister filters and the hang yeah. on the backs and my battery powered air pumps and all the things that I still need, I got rid of. So anyway, so um, a couple of years I, I didn't have bettas and then or didn't have tanks and, and just had bettas, and this was maybe. Uh, Maybe about a maybe less than two years when I didn't have a fish tank. I just kept bettas, and then um, and then uh, when I moved back to San Francisco, I got back into keeping um, fish tanks again. And then uh, so then I started off with okay, well, let me get you know a little community tank and set that up in my living room. So I had a little sixteen gallon bow front and and uh, you know planted it and did some different things with that and um but i would always you know change my mind like oh well you know i still you know i want to do something different i want frogs so that i got a separate tank for frogs and then i got a separate tank for more bettas and um so started to have like these little small nano tanks all around my apartment in san francisco and then when i moved into this house i said okay well now i've got space for larger tanks so um and my wife, you know, she was supportive at the time because she knows how much I love fish and, and with all the small tanks and stuff that I've had. And um, so she got me a 75 gallon for Christmas one year. And I think that was <laughs> that was uh, probably the the uh, the end of sanity. Yeah. And they don't, um, they, I don't think they ever know what they're about. It's, to it's the rabbit hole that you don't want to go <laughs> yeah. down. Right. So, um, yeah. So then I, you know, I, then I kind of dove headfirst back into keeping cichlids again so they're like okay well now i can i can get my african cichlids again so that was the first thing i did as i set up my cichlid tank um and then from there i started to just acquire more tanks and at first it was just kind of out of necessity so if you keep african cichlids for those of you that have kept um african cichlids or aggressive fish you need to have a place where you can rehabilitate fish heal them if they've been injured because they can be aggressive and also to keep fry when they spawn. So I said, well, let me just set up a few tanks downstairs in the basement. So I set up like four 20 gallon tanks down there and set up some air pumps and some sponge filters and, and, uh, little by little, um, it grew. And the other thing that happened is around that same period of time, um, because every time I would go into a fish store, someone would say, Hey, I need some help and this and that. So I decided to set up my service business, which is not my main source of income, but it's kind of a side thing that I do just to pay for the aquarium hobby. So I set up the aquarium business and because of that, then I said, well, I need some additional tanks to quarantine fish if a customer wants me to hold fish for them. And then people know that you're a fish person. So they're like, hey, I've got this tank. We don't know what to do with it. Can you take it? So then you start to accumulate tanks. And then, you know, you get the uh, multiple tank syndrome. And next thing you know, you've got 35 tanks around the house. And that's where I am now. Yeah, and I, and I think you were in a similar situation to me with me where, um, you know, you kind of set up tanks. You don't really know where you're going to go, where you're going to end up. And then it kind of turns into a fish room. But it's not your ideal fish room, right? It's, that's Yeah. So it, it, originally it was not going to be a fish room. It was just a fish wall is what it was. <laughs> it's like, okay, I'm just going to set up four tanks here. They're downstairs, out of sight, out of mind. I can, you know, take care of them, and they don't have to look pretty or anything like that. And then four became six, became eight, 12. And then at that point, I think when I had like 12 tanks or something, I said, I need to clear out some more space down here and make a real fish room. 
Um, so then I got super excited and, you know, I, I followed uh, Corey from Aquarium Co-op's earlier videos where he was building stands using the concrete blocks and two by fours. So I bought a bunch of tanks on sale at the dollar per gallon sale and set up these stands. And um, next thing you know, I'm plumbing PVC for air. But, you know, in hindsight, I should have planned it out. I should have had a plan um, and really understood what I was getting into and planned better, you know, for. But, th- but that's so hard, though, to to know where you're going to end up when multiple tank syndrome hits. Right. And just how out of control it can become out of control in an awesome way. I mean, yeah. um, so but to your credit, though, I would say your fish room, uh, you're an incredibly resourceful person. The amount of DIY and how you've optimized for a fish room that isn't running on an auto water change system that isn't your tanks aren't drilled for overflow. I mean, you've set it up with the ABS drain pipe. So I would assume your, your siphoning process is um, minimally invasive for you. It's not all that time consuming. And then your ability to get water back into the tanks. I think you've done a fantastic job and you probably don't need me to give you credit for that, but you've done an awesome job of working with what you have in kind of a, a fish room. That's just kind of growing as opposed to, being able to start from scratch, knowing that you're going to have 40 tanks or right. something in that range where, you know, you and I, we were talking about it, that your next, your next fish room, right? All of these lessons learned, mm-hmm. you're going to be able to pile those into your next fish room and just dial it out. Yeah. So that's, that is, uh, I think, you know, kind of the, the dream is to build the fish room exactly how you want it. Just like, you know, if someone has a dream house or a dream garage or whatever it is, you have an idea of what it's going to look like. So I do have an idea about what the fish room, um, will look like when I, you know, do move and create a new fish room. Um, but yeah, there are a lot of lessons learned, obviously. And for me, I like to be very efficient. As we were talking about earlier today, um, I do have a lot of balls in the air. So between weightlifting and work and travel and fish business and family and keeping fish, um, you Which know, you can deadlift like a car. Like, <laughs> well, I, you can lift the, a lot. The way of that weight, I say man. it is I can deadlift a 55 gallon aquarium full of water, rocks and fish. So that's, you know, <laughs> that's a, it's a lot of weight, but, that, um, that is. but so I, I do, uh, like to be very efficient with my time. So, um, like the, with the water change, even though I'm doing it manually, I've set up a system to where, um, I can do, you know, so like down in the fish room with the 30 tanks or so, it doesn't take me that long, um, to do water changes. I probably spend, maybe 180 minutes a week doing water changes down there. Um, it sounds like a lot, but it's not when you split it up mm-hmm. into different days. So um, I can split it up into different days and different times, and it's, it's pretty pretty manageable. And what I do is I'll do half the tanks one day and half the tanks another day. So I'm actually doing water changes down there um, about four times every eight days or so, um, which seems like a lot. I guess it is, but... Um, when it's only, you know, 45 minutes at a time or something, it's really, it's really not that bad. Mm -hmm. And then the same with the tanks upstairs, like I can sit here and work on my laptop editing video or something and do water changes in the display tanks in the living room because I'm just pumping the water out and then I'm just putting water back in with the Python. So as long as I can see the tank, then I'm not worried about it. So we can drain for 25 minutes and I don't have to be there. So, um, it's all about being efficient. And, um, it took a long time because at first, you know, it would take me an hour and a half to do one tank because I had to, Oh, I have to do it this way because it's the way everyone, you know, says you're supposed to do it. And I finally, I just decided, you know, there's a, I need to keep it simple and, and, um, 
be efficient with my time. Yeah, especially with, you know, you running your aquarium maintenance business, which we kind of talked about that, you know, you're scaling back a little bit. You're still keeping some customers on that, that you're loyal to. Um, but, you know, you, you need to be efficient in that, right? Because you're going into somebody's home or somebody's office and you don't want to be there all day long. You want to right. be in and out. You want to do your thing and make it so that it's the most advantageous to your time. Um, so that it, it makes sense, right? It makes sense for you to do it as a business to help kind of cover the, the fish expenses. If you right, will. exactly. Yeah, if I'm going into a business and I'm, you know, <clears throat> servicing a couple of aquariums, um, I don't want to be there that long. They don't want me there that long. And I and the longer I'm there, you know, the more time and money it's costing me, essentially. So um, so sometimes, like, when I'm doing maintenance at that at that office building, for example, was one, one of my customers where there's two tanks, people will like stop and want to chit chat with me about something. And I basically say like, yeah, okay. And then like, I'll run away. I'll run down the hall because I'm running to the next tank because I want to, you know, scrape the algae while the other one's draining. And then I want to run back and, you know, the the greatest excuse ever if somebody wants to stop and talk to you is, oh man, I think that tank's going to overflow and you just take off and nobody's going to stop you and say, no, we need to finish our conversation. And and actually there have been times when, um, when I got a little distracted or something and there's been some close calls where water was almost going to overflow or something. So yeah, you just, you have to really be focused and, um, and efficient. It really is. Uh, and, and, and a lot of people, I think, and uh, maybe, you know, people listening to this podcast, maybe don't feel this way, but for a lot of people out there, they feel like keeping fish is difficult. And in my experience, it's one of the easiest things to do as far as animal husbandry um, having owned other animals, um, in fact, just recently we uh, we gave away a chinchilla. So my daughter, like a year and a half ago, my she's a senior in high school, so she was a junior at the time. She comes home with a chinchilla, and she says, oh, my friend had to give her chinchilla away because they got a rabbit, and her parents wouldn't let her keep both. Well, for those of you that are, you know, experienced with, you know, small animals like that, they require a lot of care. You have to clean out their cage and it's not like you got to like scrape away like yucky stuff that's in like the sawdust or whatever you're using. Um, You got to, you know, make sure they're fed and clean with you can't get them wet. I mean, it's a lot of work. And, And we had a dog up until recently he passed away. So keeping fish is not that difficult. Um if you choose to make it simple and efficient. So I think people get, you know, people are sometimes afraid of the aquarium hobby because they think that, you know, it's hard to keep aquariums and fish are going to die. It's really not that difficult. I think for me, I make it difficult because I choose to keep 35 tanks. But if I just had like these four tanks in the living room, it's like it's vacuuming the living room. It takes just as much time almost, you know, so... And your fish don't jump on the guests that come over. They're not tearing up your favorite slippers. Exactly. Don't get me wrong. I've got two dogs. I I, I love my furry animals. But, you know, they don't add the same aesthetic appeal to your home. You know, a nice planted tank or a nice African cichlid tank. You don't get the same kind of aesthetic appeal that my lazy half boxer sleeping on the couch does. So Yeah, it's very different. Like, so with with, um, our dog, our dog was a golden retriever and he was a very loving dog. And, you know, you do get that... um, interaction with the you know with the dog as an example where you can you know hug him and hold him and you know touch him and fish are different right unless you have like a a fun oscar or something um but fish for me it's it's very um it's very peaceful for me it's kind of like gardening in some sense you know like especially with a planted tank or if you're doing any kind of hardscape or aquascaping it's like uh 
planting a nice, beautiful garden, like a flower garden or doing some landscaping and just enjoying that scenery, um, coupled with like having a living kind of biotope that's almost like a moving, living picture. So like, you know, my African cichlid tank with the rock background and the beautiful fish swimming around, it's like looking at like, it's like looking at a picture on the wall that's alive. So yeah, no, I, yeah. I completely agree. So I think what's so great to hear about your origin story is that you have dabbled in, in experience several different aspects of the hobby. Like you're not just an African cichlid guy, as much as I want to box you into that because your fish room is full of African cichlids right. and whatnot, <laughs> which is nothing wrong with yeah. that. Um, but you know, you've, you've done a lot in your, in your time as an aquarist. Um, what are some of the species, what are some of the, the next kind of steps for you and what you want to pivot in or what you want to do as a hobbyist? Yeah, I think for me, um, I, I, I get bored easily, which is probably why I do so many different things. And because I love the fish keeping hobby, I don't see myself ever getting out of keeping fish, but I do see myself keeping different types of fish over the years um, and in future years. Um, I am mainly into freshwater. Um, I have, you know, stuck my toe in saltwater at times. Um, one of my, uh, customers has a saltwater tank that I take care of. So I have to, you know, know enough to, you know, keep a tank healthy. You know enough not to get into saltwater. I know enough not to <laughs> get, yeah. Cause that's a whole different, yes. you know, and, yeah. and I, and I, and I do appreciate it. I do find the beauty in it. I've just always gravitated to fresh water. Even when I was a young kid, um, when we went to the aquarium, it was always the freshwater tanks that was more interesting to me than the saltwater tanks, which is interesting because most kids like, you know, they want to see the saltwater tanks and because they are very beautiful. But for me, it was more about, wow, look at this, you know, um, silver dollar and that's, you know, in this brown water tank or something. And that to me, that was interesting. Um, but yeah, I think uh, African cichlids is something that I'm passionate about right now. And I probably will always be involved with African cichlids um, and maybe moving towards other types of Africans, maybe getting into Victorians, uh, maybe doing more uh, Lake Tanganyikan fish. Um, but I'm also, I've got the plant bug recently. As you notice, I have a planted aquarium here. That is my first high-tech tank. I've done low-tech planted tanks before. So uh, getting into high-tech tanks is uh, new for me and that's exciting. And, um, there are other fish that I would like to keep in the future. I just don't have the space for them. And it sounds funny when I have 35 tanks and I don't have space for them, but, um, one day I'd like to try discus. Um, I'd like to do another big South American tank with like some geophagus. Um, you know, I think the, the perfect fish for you, and I'm going to be a broken record on this one, but a Shodanti puffer for your planted tank right over there with the tetras. I think that that would give you the... Um, kind of wet pet Oscar cichlid appeal, but snail control. So, which is yeah. kind of always nice in a, in a nice planted tank. You know, you don't want your your snail population to go out of control, especially the little guys. Yeah, yeah. The little the, the little la- pond. Well, the pond snails, I'm okay with. I, I think it's the pond snails are the ones that are very easy to crush when you try to pick them yes, out. Right. Though it's the even smaller ones than those ones. Those ones they seem to reproduce even faster than pond snails. Right. Well, you have the Malaysian trumpet snails that that um, are like I think they're like no, live bearing or something. Not the trumpet snails, yeah, not the trumpet snails. But these are they're like they're like round ram's horns, circular guy. Not even ram's horns. They're smaller. Okay. Like super small. We'll we'll we'll, we'll dig it up. I'll, okay. I'll find out what what I'm talking about. But nonetheless, your, your Shodentai Puffer will take care of those guys. A ton of personality, just an 
absolutely awesome fish and in that size aquarium would be just perfect and yeah. he'll hang out he'll hide behind the plants he'll see you come and he'll pop out the only thing um, that worries me about that is my shrimp will it eat my shrimp because i have a lot of shrimp in there so i've i've put mine in with cherry shrimp and every once in a while i'm pretty sure i see still see the same number of cherry shrimp that i initially put in there reproducing enough to and and i think between the the feedings of i mean poe is pretty fat at this point right. i might actually be overfeeding him or her <laughs> um uh, but I, I like I would like to think that it's just healthy. But between the the snails that um, he does get and right. the um, uh, and the cocktail shrimp also, so right. I kind of do a mix of, of the two. Because if I just gave him all snails, he would just eat me out of snails right. super fast. Uh, I think he leaves the the shrimp alone. Okay. I think the shrimp are actually fairly quick. Right. I don't think he's fast enough to get the uh, okay. to get them. All so, right. That but, would be my only concern. And I have, I have a ton of snails. Um, on purpose um, and you just put some shrimp in there too i just put more shrimp in there yeah so uh there's a lot of snails in there um i put a bunch of malaysian trumpet snails to kind of help with the substrate they'll be fine they'll be um, fine because they're hidden right yep, there yep. um and then i have a bunch of snails downstairs too i actually feed them to my oscar my oscar loves eating the uh snails really um as long as they're big enough um so i make sure that they're large enough and uh they have like an internal mouth where they could like their teeth are recessed, so he'll chomp them. And even like a good size, you know, thick Malaysian trumpet snail, he'll crush it. And wow, I don't think I've ever heard of anybody talking about feeding their Oscar yeah. snails at all. So in the wild, um, so everyone thinks like, oh, my Oscars, they eat like you know, other small fish. Right? People feed fish to their right their right. Oscars. Um, in the wild, they do a lot of like um, invertebrates, snails, crabs, shrimp. Um, even like some vegetation, like, you know, seeds that fall in the water. So um, they're not they're not really out there hunting, you know, feeder fish, right? They're out there foraging and... and uh, They're just highly opportunistic and will right. get down yep. on inverts if that's, yep. if that's what they yep. can get their mouth on. Yep. Huh. So um, he loves them. So, oh, I'll, so I'll just throw a whole bunch in there and he'll... And it keeps them engaged. He'll hunt for them and... Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And, yeah. and, you know, being able to gut load them, right? So your snails are eating a lot of good algae and eating mm-hmm. a lot of other good food. And if you're throwing any of those little barley shrimp food in there, they're getting down on right. that. So that's probably really healthy as opposed to, you know, I know a lot of us like to do the beef heart thing for Oscars, but maybe that's probably more in line with what their wild diet would right. be. So, so, and the research that I've done on Oscars is they shouldn't really have any terrestrial based food. So beef heart is popular for Oscars and it's popular for discus. But they don't have access to any land-based animals in the water, right? It's all freshwater seafood. Not mm-hmm. seafood, but fresh, you know, water food. So, um, yeah, so snails are uh, part of their diet in the wild, and he, he chews them up and loves them. That's very cool. Yeah. One, I'm glad we finally got a chance to get a little bit more in-depth on Oscars. Everybody that listens to this knows that I had an Oscar tank, and Oscars hold a special place in my heart. And I got excited when I got a chance to see your Oscar and we got to we got to learn more about them, right? So um, anybody out there with Oscars, try feeding them some snails. See what happens um, if they take to it. You know, again, it sounds like that's going to be a nice win because it's a good snail control, snail control, and it's going to be a healthier, right? Maybe it helps to prevent hole in the head or any of these other you know afflictions yeah. that happen to Oscars. One of the other things that I like um, with giving invertebrates to uh, fish is that, um, and I talked to Corey about this too, and he kind of has the same philosophy corium at aquarium co-op um is that the outer shell of some of these animals helps in the passing 
of waste in the intestines of the fish it like fiber for so mm-hmm. like if we eat you know a st- stalk of celery it helps us obviously with our digestive tract and everything so brine shrimp and other you know other animals that uh, have shells it helps for the uh the fish that are eating them to just have a clear tract so no oh, nice no yeah. definitely makes sense yeah all right, so let's let's pivot to talking about. So you live here in San Francisco. I mean, I would I would say that we're kind of in the heart of the city. I, I feel like we are. It's a very San Francisco, you know, like you have a San Francisco city zip code. So yep. we we are in the city. So what is it like being an aquarist in San Francisco? I feel like it can't be easy, right? I've never lived yeah. here before. I'm I'm from Northern California, so I've been to the city plenty of times, and it just feels like between the traffic and uh, you know, just how everything's kind of bunched up on each other. Um, you know, what what is your take? Yeah, so I think um, being a fish keeper in San Francisco has its challenges. Um, we are, geographically, we're pretty much in the middle of the city. But as far as the neighborhoods are concerned, we are a little bit more in that kind of suburban feel. Like we've got two-car garage and plenty of parking. So it's not like downtown where you're like on top of each other. But um one of the things that we don't have a lot of in San Francisco is space. I'm fortunate that I live in a pretty good-sized home with a basement where we do have space. But a lot of people, um, you know, there's a lot of apartment living or, you know, townhome living or living in a flat with shared spaces. So a lot of fish keepers in San Francisco don't do large tanks. Um, the ones that have the large tanks are usually the older generation that are kind of living out in the avenues that you know, have been in the hobby for many, many years, and they still have big tanks. But a lot of newer fish keepers, a lot of uh, younger fish keepers um, have smaller tanks because of space. So it's uh, a lot of nano tanks, a lot of planted tanks. Um, And it is a challenge when you just, you know, even like, um, let's say, you know, wanting to go to a store and, you know, grab a 30-gallon tank and put it in your apartment, it's not easy to transport it, you know, and if, if parking, if you're parking on a street and having to go up an elevator or something, all of those things are very difficult versus living in the suburbs where you can just pull in your driveway and have your friends load in your 240 or something like that. Um, however, even though it's uh, difficult logistically um, as far as getting around uh, with traffic and things like that, um, and spatially as far as, you know, space for tanks, we do have a lot of fish resources. So there's a lot of local fish stores um, that you don't see in a lot of suburban areas. So my experience, having lived in the suburbs before, you mostly have the big box stores. You'll have your Pet Sparks, your Petco's, and those kind of places. And every once in a while, you have a local fish store. Um, We're here in San Francisco. um, Like we went to a couple really cool ones today, but there's a whole bunch more that I didn't take you all within the same distance driving. So um, there are, and if, if I just think off the top, top of my head, I can go to a, a specialty store that does like discus and angel fish. We can go to a store that does like big cichlids and predator fish, planned aquariums. We have an ADA store. There's the uh, kind of that Hong Kong style fish market that we were at today. So there's a lot of different um, places to get fish and different kinds. So being in San Francisco, because it does have a large population, we do have a lot of options. So that is one thing that is, um, and, it, and, when we, and we have the big box stores too. So there's a lot of places to uh, find some really cool things that you wouldn't see when you're in other areas. Um, in addition, um, 
because there's so many people, there's fish clubs. So we have one here in San Francisco. There's one in Sacramento, which is a couple hours away. There's one down in San Jose, which is about an hour away. So there's a lot of, um, you know, people that uh, gather together to geek out on fish and plants and things like that. Awesome. And on the note of the fish stores, in your time that you've lived in San Francisco and been active in the hobby, have you noticed uh, what's the trend? Are we are we opening more stores? Are we closing more stores? Or is it kind of holding flat? It's kind of holding flat. We're definitely not opening any more stores. Um, and in talking to a few of the owners, I think there's always the risk of them losing their lease or the lease getting increased to where it doesn't make sense for them to have a business anymore. And I've talked to a couple store store owners that have shared that with me before. Um, and that's just because of, you know, kind of what's happening in San Francisco. The demographics is changing. You know, there's more money in the city. So rents are going up and storefronts are, you know, costing more. Um, but so far, it's been, we've been lucky to where the stores aren't closing. Um, but I don't know how long they can sustain that. I think a lot of them are just kind of, you know, surviving and not thriving. And uh, my take is that if something were to happen where business plummeted for a period of two or three months, some of these would fail. Um, I was talking to an owner at, uh, yesterday on the phone at one of the stores, and um, they had mentioned to me that uh, business was slow for the past week and a half, and it, it affects them. It hurts them. Um, and uh, so, you know, there's a lot of things that can affect it, whether it be, you know, some event or weather. But um, I, I think... Uh, there is the risk of, of that culture going away. Even a store that we went to today um, at Ocean Aquarium, you don't find stores like that anymore. No, you no, you don't. Yeah. What you know, I I love that segue. I, want, I definitely want to talk about Ocean Aquarium, but I guess one point I would want to say is, you know, with the changing demographics, with the you know influx of tech money into this area that are just you know driving things through the roof, you you know you would hope. If anybody out there needs a slice of nature in their life, it would be some of these software development engineers, some of these, what I the, the power vesters, right? Like these people that have their head in code and, <clears throat> you know, these you know, apps and tech and, you know, they're, they're just, in, they're so engrossed in their lives of technology that they, like, we need some type of outreach. Like we need to work with Google HR, Facebook HR, and a part of their employee wellness Right. We need to somehow build in there. Putting an aquarium in your apartment is somehow a way to get either therapeutic, some type of money, some Mm -hmm. type of discount on your insurance. I don't know what it is, but we need to work an angle. So if we get this (laughs) slice of, 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 um, you know, nature in your house, that there's a benefit and that we can get some of this tech money to be invested back into some of these mom and pop stores. Um, And you brought up Ocean Aquarium, which. I mean, that's been featured in your videos. It's been featured in um, Aquarium Co-op. And I think Jimmy and, and Joel and probably many other people right. that have went to this store. And I'm definitely going to have a link. Um, I'll check on your channel. I'll see if I can find some. I'll find your, your videos and put in the link to the show notes of this. Uh, but Ocean Aquarium, uh, run by Justin and his wife, Addie Ha, I think is how we're going to say their last name. And I apologize, Justin, for butchering your last name. Um, you know, he's been doing it for, what, 20-some-odd years in that location? A long time, yeah. A long, a long yeah. time. This is, like Zenzo said, they don't make stores like this anymore. And this being an auditory experience, I can't begin to describe it. But it is just the most incredible fish-keeping planted tank aquarium experience. Um, and, you know, when I say planted tank, don't think of, like, fancy ADA, clean, polished, sterile showroom. Like this is just gritty San Francisco at its roots. 
but with an absolute nut of a hobbyist running it. And it is cluttered. It is packed with product. It is packed with beautiful fish and amazing tanks that you will never, ever see again in your life in this small location in a back alley. And I'm coining it like this is, if you're into this hobby and if you're listening to this podcast, you're obviously a fish nerd. This is your Mecca. This is your pilgrimage. This is one of the places on your fish keeping bucket list. You need to come to Ocean Aquarium in San Francisco. San Francisco is a destination in and of itself. But while you're here, you need to go there and spend a minimum of an hour in this tiny store and just drink it all in because it is an amazing, amazing place. I got a chance to hang out with Justin. I wanted to interview him, but it just wasn't appropriate. It wasn't the right time and place. Um, I was able to buy a little piece of artwork he did of some Pseudomoga Illuminatus. Uh, maybe I'll post a picture of this, but this is for sure going in my fish room or somewhere that's next to all my fish art. I'm so thrilled to have something that that man painted. I mean, his store, like I said, I, I can't say it enough. It, it is a mecca. It is a pilgrimage in and of itself. It is an absolute jewel of our hobby. It's a national treasure of the aquarium hobby. Yeah, I would agree. And, and it's definitely not uh, something that you would expect to find um, in most cities. It's right? like Gringotts Alley in Harry Potter. Like, yeah, you don't or, expect to find that. Oh, no, that's Gringotts like, is the bank. It's Diagon Alley. It's more like um, when you went to go buy the Gremlins. Right, right. Yeah, it so, is. It right? is. It's the gremlin yeah. shop. So that's that's kind of like, uh, you know, it's like some secret little, you know, mm-hmm. like a speakeasy for fish is basically, you know, yeah. like going back in time. And his his method of uh, keeping tanks is very unique as well, right? As far as uh, not doing the water changes and letting it kind of nature filter the aquariums and, as as it's intended through. And, and rewind. He just said not doing water changes yeah yeah so he doesn't do water changes in fact we saw a tank today that um it was a planted tank it was beautiful it was um i forgot the size of it but it was like a um it was almost like a it was long and narrow um like a nano tank but maybe like 10 gallons but long and like a 10 or 12 gallon yeah, yeah one of those guys and um i think he said it's been that way since like 2004 or something like that and it's you know got a thick it's got a thick substrate for the anaerobic bacteria, and I think he just has like a little air bubbling in there, yeah, just to kind of break the surface tension, and that's about it. And the thing looks amazing. Yeah. You you will be blown away at the level of DIY ingenuity, low tech, but just results that you will never see. Like you will never right. see anywhere else unless you go and copy his method. Um, which he's free to talk about. I mean, there was yeah. no there was no secrets with this man. Like he's just an an a, a hobbyist gone wild in a store and yeah. just just loves what he does. Just absolutely was loves what he does. And you know, I, again, I can't I can't recommend this place enough to go check out. Um, that that in and of itself was a wonderful experience. Uh, and then you also got a chance to take me to Sixth Avenue Aquarium. Which is a very different experience, mm-hmm. right? So Sixth Avenue Aquarium is uh, kind of like I've never been to Hong Kong, so I don't know, but it's kind of what I imagine like a local fish store would look like um, in a busy area like that. It's very busy. Um, there's like loud music blaring all the time. People are coming in in and out of the door. Um, no plants in that store that I can, or maybe they've uh, like, they had they, one little section, one of little plants. section yeah, yeah. of plants, but nothing but incorporated. Nothing's planted. Yeah. Everything is just bare acrylic boxes but with the most unusual fish that you would not expect to find 
and fish that you would not be able to even order at some stores. Oddballs galore. Oddballs galore. And, um, you know, there's fish that are probably controversial as far as, you know, should they be kept in the hobby? They've got a bunch of red-tailed catfish. They've got shovel-nosed catfish. They had some, um, a whole bunch of arowana. There were some other things that we saw there that I I can't recall right now. But um, just even the big um, saltwater shark, you know, that was probably... I don't know, 20 inches long or something like that. So just a lot of interesting things that you wouldn't normally see in a fish store. Um, And what really makes it interesting is how they keep the fish. So all of the fish are kept in um, these really small cubes, these acrylic cubes, and it's all on one central water system. So you'll have like an 8-inch arowana that's in like a one-gallon cube almost, right, or, you know, whatever. Um, Obviously, it's not living in one gallon of water. It's living in hundreds of gallons of water, but um, it's just kind of kept on its own that way. And then when people want to buy the fish, they go to the front counter, they get a net, they go back to the tank, and they scoop out the fish themselves, and they bring that fish to the counter in a little bucket of water. So, And this blew me away. <laughs> and, I, and I talked, and I brought it up several times in the store. I took pictures of a little man that was just going to town, picking out his fish. You know, he was taking his time. He had his little specimen ca- container, and he was just, you know, doing his thing, looking for the fish he wanted. And it, it blew my mind that it's basically, here's your net, here's your container, go get your fish. Yeah, it's it's very it's it's nothing that I've seen before in any other store. Every other store that I've been to, it's always an employee catching the fish. And and as we were leaving, there was a professional gal who looked like she just got off of work, you know, business suit. Maybe or, she yep. I don't know, forty. Yeah, let, yep. yeah. Let's say she was in her late thirties, right? Okay. okay. <laughs> so nonetheless, she comes in. She's just out of work. She's in high heels. She's in her nice dress. She's got you know her her makeup. She's ready. You know, she just got off of work and she walks up to the counter gets her net, gets her little specimen container, and she goes over, and I think she was getting crayfish. Yeah, some crayfish or crabs or something, just, yeah. Just wild, yeah. man. That Like, you don't, where else do you see that? <laughs> Maybe you see it in Hong Kong. I don't know. Maybe you see it in China, yeah. but not not here, though, and that's just one of the jewels that you have, and you only took me to two of your cool stores. Yeah, we too. only went to two stores, so next time you come down, we'll go, we'll go to some others, because um, there are, every store that I've that I visit and frequent, they all have their own little charm in, in some way. And so um, I just wanted to, you wanted to go to Ocean Aquarium, obviously, and then I thought Sixth Avenue would be kind of a good uh, contrast to that just to kind of see the opposite end of the spectrum. Um, but there are a lot of those cool little fish stores. But um, sadly, I think, you know, in the future, they will disappear if we don't get more people involved in the hobby and involved in the hobby in the right way. You know, not just wanting to, not because they saw Finding Nemo and now they're getting a fish for their kid and or they want to get glowfish or something because they're bright and vibrant or something, but because they really want to have a piece of nature and really, you know, foster something that's, you know, different and, and, uh, and um, you know, bringing some value to their lives. Yeah, and I mean, that you know, that's coming from a guy that... Um, works remotely from home a lot of the time, right? You're plugged into technology. You run a very busy and well, um, well-performing well YouTube channel, right? So you are constantly being bombarded um, in digital media, digital advertising, um, in technology. It's immersed in your life. Yep. And you understand, like I do and many people out there, the importance of having kind of a reset button, right? And that's what the aquarium hobby brings to us. 
um, is that ability to reset, to reconnect with nature and to just take, you know, whatever little moment of time we have to just kind of sit back and look at our tanks and appreciate it um, and, and just really enjoy it. And, you know, a couple of days ago I did a, you know, a badly needed scape on my main 75 gallon planted tank. And, you know, once I got done with that, you know, I just sat back and, you know, my son was taking a nap and it was one of those few moments that I just had to kind of breathe and, you know, just kind of pause. Yeah. And it was, it was nice. It was so nice to see the rainbows, the Bosmani, the Praycocks. Uh, I think the Pandagara was getting down. Everybody was having a good time. You know, the tank was just scaped and it looked great. Yeah. One of the things I like to do is, and, and I am, you know, I live in the tech capital of the U.S. at least, right? And here in the San Francisco Bay Area, Silicon Valley, um, you know, first thing I do when I wake up is, you know, look at my phone and check my email. I've usually got two or three laptops on our, you know, here on the table. And um, there literally are multiple laptops yeah, that like there's mine's in my bag, but those are yours. Yeah, there's three right here. I've got two PCs <laughs> oh, and a man. MacBook, you know, all kinds of stuff, cell phones, iPads. Um, but what I like to do is um, just sit on that green easy chair right in front of those two tanks and just sit there and relax for maybe, you know, just 20 minutes or so, just staring at the fish and nothing else. Yeah, no, I, I noticed and, that chair, yeah. too. That that chair is awkwardly positioned purposely <laughs> for viewing fish tanks. Corey took a nap in that chair, actually. He, <laughs> yeah, nice. That's like the uh, the comfy green chair, as we call it. So, uh, But, yeah, I think um, it is, you know, in our, in this era, this is the information age, right? So everyone's so thirsty for you know, more and more media and, and, um, we're very device centric, but, um, you know, looking back to 20, 20 years ago or so, or 30 years ago when we were kids, um, you know, we would play outside and, you know, catch lizards and do things that people don't do so much anymore. And, uh, an aquarium is a great way to still have a piece of, you know, nature in your home. And I'm not saying that, you know, you have to have, you know, a South American biotope with, you know, tannins and, you know, catapa leaves and stuff in there. But, um, you know, whatever floats your boat, if you have some type of, you know, living, you know, thing that you're taking care of, that you enjoy, it's beautiful, it's healthy. It's especially rewarding if you see the cycle of life where you can see them fish, you know, see the fish spawn. And uh, I, I think for me, that's probably one of the most um, rewarding things is when you see that, you know, you're keeping these fish in a very unnatural environment, right? Because even though that's a big tank, they would normally be in billions of gallons of water in a lake, right? Versus, you know, a couple hundred gallons or whatever, 75 gallons of water. So, um, but seeing the fish healthy and, you know, procreating is, is rewarding. Yeah, no, I would, I would completely agree with that. So, uh, moving on dream trips. So, we were yeah. talking a little bit about, you know, what is what does the docket look like for 2019 for us respectively? And I kind of brought up, you know, um, you know, wanting to get out there, do some collecting trips. It may not be next year, but, you know, that kind of sparked some curiosity with you. So what do, what do you have in yeah. your head that you would like to do? 2019, I think, is um, probably still going to be domestic travel as far as fish is concerned. Um, I'll probably go to a couple of the aquarium-related conventions probably the aquatic experience again maybe aquashella i am i do want to go to the aga up in seattle and uh, this coming spring you, um, bet, you better come up to ag yeah man. well it's, like it's a, on my calendar already so an hour and a half flight up north man you know too many of us in seattle no to not come out yeah. that I'm, would I'm, be, a, that I'm gonna would... sleep in uh, Corey's fish room if i come up you can sleep in my guest yeah. room man you you all right deal you're taken care of but um 
I uh, I do want to do some. We talked about collecting trips. Um, you we I had mentioned you had mentioned like Mexico or South America. I I would like to go to Florida sometime because I think to be in the U.S. and to go to some tropical area where there are some pretty unique fish that aren't supposed to be there, but they are there. Um, Florida is um, would be an opportunity. Um, but I also like to go to Hawaii. So I have a lot of family in Hawaii and on different islands. And some of the areas uh, happen to have a lot of fish that are not, you know, all of them, except for a couple of freshwater gobies, are um, introduced. And a lot of them are invasive. But um, to be able to go out and, you know, catch them. But you can't. I can't keep them and take them home with me, which, you know, that's it wouldn't really be a collecting trip as far as taking fish home but it would be fun to just kind of go out and catch them and you know so kind of document that so i want you to give a plug to your to your channel and that video in particular can you talk a little bit about that sure. uh, that video that you have yeah so um so on my channel tozawa tanks uh, t-a-z-a-w-a tanks um i have a video from it was a summer it was this summer it was uh probably released in july i want to say um, I've been to Hawaii a couple times this year already, but it was, I think I released that video in July. And in this video, um, I think I start off at one of the resorts, um, in Honolulu where they've got like Dovi, they have Paku, they have Oscar cichlids, African cichlids, koi fish, all swimming around in these ponds at the hotel. Um, and then later on, I go to the Waikiki Museum, or not museum, but aquarium where they've got some wonderful display tanks. They have an Asian arowana there. Um, that they um, confiscated. So the uh, fish and game confiscated this fish and uh, put it in the aquarium. Um, and then at the end of the video, uh, we go to this lake. This lake is actually part of the botanical gardens on Oahu. And this lake has hundreds, if not thousands, of fish that are introduced into this lake. So there's like hundreds or thousands of um, like red devils or Midas cichlids in there. Um, there's a bunch of tilapia in there. There's plecos all over the place. There's carp um, and other things that I didn't, I didn't get to see. But uh, when I was there in 2017, I tried to... Um, I don't know why, because the fish are so thick that this it's like boiling fish. And I put my hand in there, and one of the red devils jumped out and bit my thumb, and they actually left teeth marks in my thumbnail. Uh, so I didn't do that this year, but you can see like the water's just boiling where fish are like on top of each other. And they're clearly they're clearly being fed by people, right? Oh, they're being fed. Yeah, yeah we went and fed them. Like so, some some <laughs> my, my brother is also a, a fish person as well, and he has some tanks at home, and um, he's into. Um, planted tanks and he uh he does like dry starts and he'll sell plants and he has a nice planted tank as well um, but he has some old fish food that was sitting around he's like hey we'll bring the fish food and then we brought some old bread and yeah it's just fun too. so so i've got a trip for us so we need to go to florida so either somebody that follows you or somebody that, that listens to this podcast if you live in florida we need some space in your guest room for budgeting purposes, yep. right? Just let us crash on a couch or something. I can talk with Shelby at Seagrass Farms, and we'll do a collecting trip. That'd be cool. Maybe she'll let us into Seagrass Farms. We'll check out what they have. I, I don't think that's a stretch to think that she would let us into Seagrass. Um, but I think if you know, we can make uh, we can make a you know two or three day little trip out of that. That'd be fun. I think I think that'd yeah. be awesome, and I think that's super doable for 2019. Yeah, I'd be down. I'd be down for that. And even if we could, um, I don't know if there are any. Um, aquarium conventions or anything in florida but maybe even you know butted up against one of those you know what's even closer to in texas so greg steves who i've had on the show 
he's got footage of him swimming with uh, diving like super close to his house in some of the local rivers and streams. And I'm pretty sure there's like native live bear, self and mollies mm-hmm. and whatnot. So yeah, Texas would have a lot of those because there's a lot, a lot of those, um, there's a lot of uh, live bears from Mexico as well. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, keep it, keep it on the dollar. Right. Yeah. So we don't have to change currency or anything. Yeah. yeah. Uh, not have to bust out the passport. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, for 2019, I think that that's kind of what, um, is in my future down the road, I would like to do an East Africa trip. Um, I was talking to Bob Steenfot from Steenfot Aquatics about uh, maybe one day we can go to Lake Tanganyika and uh, check that out. He was he was very interested in, in that as well. Um, that would be like an ultimate trip for me. It's to get scuba certified and go to, go there and see. Do you technically need to be scuba certified though? I think to, you do. I, in, in Lake Tang, in any of those rift lakes, you think so that they're that. Yeah. Oh, as far as as far as the regulations. Yeah, yeah. Um, I feel I, like it's kind of the wild west. I, I believe. Well, I'm sure that if you're because if you go there, you have to rent the equipment, right? Mm-hmm. So if you rent all the equipment, and everything, they're going to want to know that you're certified. And those lakes, it's not like a lake here. Those lakes are like the ocean. Yes. You can't see the oh, other yes. side. And yeah, they're huge. It's it's it, you might as well be in the ocean. So um, the only difference is you're less buoyant because there's less less salt in the water. I would assume that if the, if you'd go on some dive tour and they're going to make sure that you're certified, um, and and something like that, I wouldn't want to forge or fake because sure. I don't want to die underwater <laughs> in East Africa because I, you know, cheaped out on eight hundred dollars worth of lessons here in California or something. Hey, fair so. enough. Fair <laughs> enough. But uh, yeah, I think um, that would be a fun trip. Um, South America would also be fun um, to uh, do. Uh, one of those collecting trips, um, whether it be Peru or somewhere in the Amazon, um, but I would my preference would be Africa first, um, just because I I I like African cichlids the most. Yeah, and I think Lake Tanganyika would be very interesting because of all of the diverse species that you have there. Lake Malawi would be interesting also um, for sure, um, and if I went that far, I'd probably try to make both. Um, but if I could only pick one, I'd probably do Tanganyika just because the fish are more unique. Where in Lake Malawi, they, a lot of you have kind of a lot of the same mm-hmm. looking fish. No, that's awesome. Yeah, and if you if you do the Africa trip, given how many connecting flights you would have to do, and that it's you know it's the flights alone are a trip in and of themselves. Probably two days to get there and two days to get home. Like and, I, I feel like yeah. you know, don't get me wrong, like that's completely on my Aquarius bucket list as well. But it you know when I go, it's going to have to be for a good chunk of time just to make up for all of that travel, you right. know, all those connections. Cause we're on the West coast. So we're going to have to, you know, there's, there's at least the one connection here in the States. Yep. Probably a connection into Europe somewhere, a connection into a main African city. The only, unless we went the other way, right. We could go from the West coast to let's say I Asia. They, I don't think most people go that way. Like Pam Chin, I think she flew. Does she go? I think she went the Europe way. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't know which way is, because it seems like it's almost closer to go over the Pacific. What's Expedia say? Hey Siri, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> because because you would be on the east side of the continent sure, too, right? Sure. Um, so maybe like fly from here to Asia to India to East Africa. Then you'd have to stop and collect in India. Yeah. <laughs> How awesome would that be? Bunch of uh, are there any? You know what I want to see? So South Korea in Japan. There's some there's some freshwater fish that you can collect there. There's endemic really? fish there. Huh. Yeah, there's the articles are very sparse of what of what's out there. Right. Um, they're certainly not tropical fish, but sure. they've got their own little small, you know, cool little fish to collect. Right. I mean, you know, we're talking about our heritages. You are, you're half Japanese. Half Japanese. I'm yeah. half Korean. I 
you know, I don't know if anybody could tell, nobody can tell that I'm half Korean, but nonetheless. <laughs> so I think, you know, kind of the, the going back to the roots, seeing, you know, where the, where, you know, where our people come from, if right. you will, yeah. uh, and doing a little fish collecting trip yeah. would be, would be pretty neat, I think as well. Well, speaking of uh, Japan, um, my passion that I've never been able to exercise is koi fish. Um, and if I, you know, if I could have a koi pond, I think that would be, uh, for me, kind of maybe not the holy grail, but the one thing that I've never been able to do. The closest I ever got to it is when I did have my 20-gallon tank. My parents got me a koi fish. It was this beautiful gold koi. And when it got to about, I don't know, four or five inches, they gave it away to someone who had a koi pond, obviously. But So I had a koi fish for you know a very a few months. Yeah, <laughs> but, hey. But um, that would be... Uh, going to Japan, I would, I would love to see that. Although from what I hear... Um, because they don't have a lot of land that the koi ponds in the U.S. are actually more uh, more prevalent and larger and than they are over there, just because huh. it's you don't see them very often over there. But interesting, yeah. Oh, very cool. All right, Zenzo, well, one more time. Can you please tell us where can we find you? And I'll make sure that whatever you say we have in the show notes. So, yeah. you know, this has been an absolutely fantastic conversation. Uh, this is going to be one of those days that just goes down, you know, in in my own personal history of amazing experiences. I'm so glad that this worked out. Um, you know, just beyond this trip, you know, I already know that you and I are going to stay in contact. And I feel like I've already made a wonderful friend um, in you and you showing me around the city today and us having a wonderful Korean Japanese fusion meal. Yeah, which that was good. Amazing. That yeah. place was legit. So how can we find you, Zenzo? Yeah. So uh, thanks for having me. And it's it's been a pleasure and fun showing you around. Um, you can find me on YouTube primarily. So it's Tazawa Tanks on YouTube. So I've got... Uh, Right now, a couple hundred videos, and um, I post videos twice a week. So every Wednesday and Sunday, I release a video. Um, in addition to YouTube, you can also find me on Facebook. So I have a Facebook uh, page, which is also Tazawa Tanks. And um, I am releasing some video on Facebook as well. And I'm going to be doing some Facebook-specific videos in the future that are not going to be showcased on YouTube. And I'm also on Instagram. So my Instagram is Tazawa underscore tanks. And um, I post a lot of kind of fun photos of fish and it's it's all fish stuff uh, on that Instagram page. Yeah, so Zenzo's awesome. I mean, he's a he's a fish nerd just like you and I. Um, so go ahead and subscribe to his uh, his YouTube channel. Follow him on all the social media and just you know drink in the awesome cool stuff that he puts <laughs> out there. Um, you know, obviously you've heard him talk to me that for almost an hour now, and it's just been a fantastic fish nerd conversation. So again, Zenzo, thank you very much. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you again for listening to the Aquarius Podcast. As always. Get involved in your local fish club, help grow this wonderful hobby, and have fun with other fish nerds.